Welcome to Northridge Church, man. It's so good to be with you. And hey, Rochester, can you do me a favor and help me welcome Webster and online? Come on. It's good to have you guys. So no matter where you're watching from, whether you're at your home or maybe you're listening in your car or you're at our Webster campus or our Rochester campus, welcome home. It is great to have you here uh, this morning. And you know, Ashley and I, uh, when we, we were a young family, we just had a uh, baby, Ruby Kate, and, and, and toddler, Joelle. This was before we had Malachi in our family. We were prepping and packing our bags because we were taking a flight from Rochester to Atlanta. And, and maybe one of the most dangerous, crazy, uh, tense things you can do with children is take them on an airplane. Because it, it's kind of like you're, you're taking a ticking time bomb, and, and you just never know when it's going to go off. And so... I'm the type of person that just doesn't like to inconvenience people. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and it be my fault. And I know my girls, right? They can scream at octaves no ear should ever hear. I remember when Joelle was born and she was in the nursery and all the nurses came into our room and said, this is amazing. All eight kids in the nursery are screaming, but you can only hear your daughter. <laughs> I'm like, awesome, thanks for that, I appreciate it. And so we're packing our bags and we're taking that, you know, that first leap of, of traveling with our kids. And so we, we get to the airport, we go through, you know, the security checkpoint, we get to our gate wait, waiting to be bored. And I'm like, Joel, run laps, do whatever you got to do to get all the energy you can get out. I've got a bag full of 7 million lollipops because like, hey, you cry, eat a lollipop. I'm prepared. <laughs> Because I'm stressed, I'm, I'm a little bit panicked, I'm, I'm sweating because I, I just don't want my kid to be the screaming kid that everybody doesn't want to listen to on the plane. And as you walk and you start to board the plane, you can just feel the judgment, right? Everybody sitting there is like, oh no, they're not sitting next to us, are they? And you just walk by and you walk by. And finally we get to, to our seats and, and I'm, I'm going over the ground rules with the kids. Joy, you're not allowed to run on the plane. Ruby Kate, you're not allowed to cry. Just don't cry. I know you're a baby. but And I'm just praying, God, like for two hours, just overtake my children and let them sleep. And it would be a beautiful flight. And as I'm kind of like figuring everything out, putting our bags up, there's this older couple behind us, sitting right behind us. They're probably grandparents. They've been there. They've done that. And this woman leans over her chair and she says, excuse me, sir, you have a beautiful family. And here's what you need to know about this flight. And I'm like, oh no. She says, you don't have to worry about anybody else on this plane. You just take care of those two sweet girls. And then those words pouring over my stressed body completely changed my perspective on the flight. The whole, my whole trajectory changed. And all this woman did was offer me a small dose of kindness. I bet you know where we're going today, Galatians chapter 5. If you haven't been with us, we've been digging into this series called Marked By, and we're wrestling through each fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. These are things that as Christ followers, the Spirit of God should be producing in our lives. And let's read the list. We've been in, in it for the last five, six weeks. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, now let's pause there. Again, this is really important. We aren't manufacturing these things. We're not creating them. We're not building up, mustering up enough energy to be these things. No, it's only by God's Spirit can we be these things. And so it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience. Last week we talked about patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so today we're going to dive into that fifth fruit of the Spirit. It is that word, kindness. 
Now, here's what I'm afraid of. When we read this list and we get to the word kindness, we just define it the way we know kindness to be, right? So kindness, okay, God just obviously wants me to be nice to everybody. That's kindness. That's what we know it to be. And that's true. God wants you to be a nice person. But it's deeper than that. If you study the original language here, the the Greek word is krestos, and it actually means to be useful. Because kindness, biblically speaking, is knowing what's needed. If we're going to be kind people, if the Spirit of God is going to produce this in us, kindness at a a biblical level is, is looking at circumstances and situations and knowing what is needed. Providing what is needed, because the the Greek doesn't always translate into the English all that great, but this Greek word indicates that I, that we, if we are kind, are being useful to situations and circumstances. We are providing what is needed. I think about that lady on the plane, right? She knew what I needed, and she gave me exactly that. Now, imagine this for a second. You are a first grade teacher, right? And you... You get to that part of the day where all the kids love recess, right? You remember being a little kid, going to recess, you get to play on the playground, kickball, whatever it is. And so you're, you're out there. The teacher probably loves it the most, too, because she's just like, I got some freedom. I can watch the kids. All right. And so this, this first grade teacher, you're the teacher, and you, you send your kids out to recess. They're playing on the playground. And then three kids come to you one by one, and, and, the, and the, the little child, the first one comes up. He says, teacher, teacher, I, I got a splinter. Can you help me? And, and then the next kid comes, and he, this child runs up, teacher, teacher, I have a runny nose. Can you help me? And then the third kid runs up and says, teacher, teacher, I think I broke my arm. Can you help me? Right? And can you imagine if this teacher walks up to the kid with the splinter and says, oh, I see your splinter. Here's a Band-Aid. It should help. And, and, and this teacher goes up to, to the, the, the kid with the runny nose and says, oh, hey, here's a Band-Aid. It should help. And then and she goes to the person, with, I think your arm is broken. Here's a Band-Aid. It should help. It doesn't make any sense to us, right? Because why? It's not needed. And here's what I found to be true about my kindness, or what I call kindness, is oftentimes I'm providing something that's nice, but maybe something that's not needed. And biblical kindness is providing what is needed in that circumstance or to that person. And if we're truly, if the Spirit of God is truly going to produce this this, this fruit called kindness in our lives, it involves two things. The first thing kindness involves is paying attention, right? We have to pay attention to the needs that are around us, the signs, the clues that people give us in in our office, at our workplace, in our home. Like we're obviously looking for the needs and the signs and the clues from people of what is needed in that circumstance or for that person, the problem with this is many of us, we can't get out of our, outside of ourselves. Our focus is solely on us. We rarely pay attention to what is needed. Right? Again, go back to that illustration. The lady offering me kindness. She probably saw a dad who was in over his head. It might have been the sweat rolling down my forehead and my back that gave her clues that, man, this dad just needs a little bit of encouragement, some kindness. Second thing kindness involves is action, right? It's one thing to see the needs around us, but it's another thing to act on those needs. And here's what I found to be true about my life and probably yours, is we are good at one or the other of these two things, not both. 
Many of us are are really good at paying attention. We see the needs all around us in our home, in our neighborhood, in our offices, or wherever God takes you. We see the needs. Here's the problem with people who are good at paying attention is the needs begin to pile up, right? You almost become overwhelmed with all the needs that you see, and it overwhelms you, it stresses you out, and so therefore, what do you do? You don't do anything, right? You can't fix all the needs, so you don't fix any. And then maybe some of you, you're really good at action, right? You don't see needs, you just act anyway. And people like this, often, they act all the time, but they're usually not providing something that is actually needed. And so kindness is providing what is needed by paying attention and acting on the needs that we see. And if you study this through, what's interesting is if you go to the Old Testament, this is how the the, the early uh, Christians, followers of God, described God with a Hebrew word that was very similar to this Greek word, but it was translated not as kind, but as good. Look at Psalms 25, it says, good and upright is the Lord. Kind and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. Psalm 34, verse 8, this might be familiar to you, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's kind. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalms 86, verse 5, it says, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. And so when it comes to kindness, God is a kind God, and that shouldn't surprise us because this fruit of the Spirit, this whole study is really us reflecting the character of God. So it shouldn't surprise us that this is who God is, that that God is a kind God because we're called to imitate the God that we worship and serve. That's what the fruit of the Spirits are, right? And so when you think about this word kindness, if you break it down to its root, it's actually the, the word kin or kindred. And so what kindness is, is actually treating people as they are kin to you, brothers and sisters. Therefore, we are the church, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we treat others with this tenderheartedness, this empathy, this sympathy, loving our brothers and sisters as kindred. But what's the purpose of kindness, right? Why did God include this in the list that the Spirit's going to produce in us? What's the goal of kindness? Where does it take us? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer to that in Romans chapter 2. He says this, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, let's pause here for a second. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's comparing God's judgment versus man's judgment. And he says to man, do you think that you can judge people and do the same things? We call that hypocrisy. And what he's getting at is the opposite of kindness is passing judgment. But then he presses in in verse 4. Look what he says. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and patience? And right here he gives it to us. He says, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You see, the very reason God has shown us kindness, he gives his kindness to lead us to repentance, right? God is a kind God because the goal of his kindness is that you and I, we're walking this way, slaves to sin, where our flesh is winning the battle, we are sinners, but yet God pours out his kindness on us so that we would repent. Don't get caught up on that word, repentance. It's a churchy word. All it simply means is to turn and go a different direction. And God gives us his kindness so that while we were slaves to sin, we would turn, receive his kindness, and walk down a different road. 
That's the purpose of kindness. And as we've received God's kindness and we turn a different direction, as we give kindness to others, it's to lead to their repentance, that they would turn to a God who is loving and it would lead them to repentance. Now, I want you to see God's kindness tangibly in one circumstance in Jesus' life. One circumstance where he shows kindness to three different people. Let me set the scene for you. It's probably one of the most famous pictures in Jesus' life other than his resurrection. It's him on the cross. And so Jesus has been flogged. He's been beaten. He's been scorned. He's been mocked. He's had a crown of thorns jabbed into his forehead. And here he is hanging on a cross, suffering. Every breath is agonizing. And yet in this moment where Jesus is suffering, he shows his kindness to three groups of people. The first person was his mom, his mother. Now, I don't know if this means more to me because I'm a mama's boy. Um, I admitted it. My mom's probably watching right now. I love you, mom. But as Jesus suffers, he cares for his mom. Let me show you. John chapter 19, he's on the cross. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciples, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciples took her into his own household. So as Jesus suffers on this cross, he thinks about his mom. Right? He knows he's getting ready to leave this world. And I'm not talking about his death. We know three days later he rose again, but he was going to ascend into heaven. He was going to leave this world. And guess what he wanted? Guess what he cared about while he was dying and suffering? That someone would take care of his mom. And so he identifies with her. He looks at her and he says, behold your son. And then he looks to a disciple who he loves and he says, behold your mother. Because from now on you need to take care of my mom. And as he's dying, he cares and shows kindness to his mom. But on the flip side of that, the second person he shows kindness to as he's dying is the opposite of his mother. It was a criminal. You see, if you don't know this, as when Jesus was crucified, there was a criminal to his right and a criminal to his left. And as he's suffering with these two other guys, they have this conversation. And you would think if anybody is is deserves, doesn't deserve the kindness of God, it would be a criminal, but yet Jesus shows this criminal kindness. Check it out. It says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. I love that line. Like, hey, if you can do it, you might as well help me out too, right? But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Right, let, me let me translate that a little differently to you. Jesus, show me kindness when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. What a story. A criminal a guy who got life wrong, but yet what does Jesus do? He shows him kindness. And here's what's crazy. We celebrate this story. It's a story of restoration, of reconciliation. It's beautiful. But here's what's crazy is as Jesus shows kindness to this man, this kindness doesn't feel good for everybody. 
Because can you imagine if you were the family member who the criminal offended? Right, this guy is being crucified as a criminal, so he didn't do like some just ordinary crime. He probably killed somebody. He probably did something vicious and nasty, and that's why he's being crucified. And so can you imagine being the person who is seeing Jesus show kindness to this criminal when that criminal killed somebody in your family? It's not a story of restoration. It's a story of Jesus. What the heck are you doing? Like, that guy doesn't deserve your kindness. He deserves exactly what he's getting, and yet you're showing him kindness? Come on, Jesus. And just because Jesus shows kindness, it doesn't mean it feels good for everybody, but yet he still displays his kindness. Why would he give kindness to a criminal? Well, I'll show you, because the third group of people on the cross was Jesus shows kindness to all people. To all people, because here he is dying for the sins of mankind, carrying the weight that we couldn't, bearing the penalty that we couldn't pay. Look at Luke 23. Look what Jesus says on the cross. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so here Jesus shows me, and he shows you kindness by carrying the penalty of my sin and your sin. And what does he offer you? He offers you kindness and the act of forgiveness. That if any man, would, or any man, any woman would call on the name of Jesus, that they would receive his kindness and his forgiveness. And so Jesus shows kindness while he's suffering to his mom, to a criminal, and to every single individual who would receive it. But I think kindness is even deeper than that. And we see it in Jesus' teaching while he was here on earth in Luke chapter 6. Let me read this verse to you. This is Jesus speaking. It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and even evil men. And I think Jesus teaches us four things about kindness that we often miss right here in one passage. And I think the first thing is probably the hardest thing for us. It, Jesus teaches us that kindness is not selective. You see, it's easy for us in society to pick and choose who we should be kind to. But when the Spirit of God, that's the difference between man's kindness and God's kindness, is when the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is producing this fruit in your life, you don't get to pick and choose who you're kind to. Jesus actually says you should be kind to your enemies. Now, let me ask you this question. It's probably a rhetorical question, but how good are you at being kind to your enemies? Let me give you some examples of this. How are you at being kind to the spouse that divorced you and is now fighting you in court for your kids and for your money? How good are you at showing kindness to the boyfriend or the girlfriend that cheated on you? How good are you showing kindness to the boss who keeps overlooking you for the promotion? Like, I can give you list after list of enemies that we have. How good are you at showing kindness who, to people who believe differently than you, vote differently than you, post on social media, and it just drives you crazy? Are you kind to those people? Because Jesus says, hey, even your enemy you should do good to. You should be kind to. You don't get to pick and choose who you are kind to because kindness is not selective. Second thing he teaches us, 
is kindness expects nothing in return. Right? So we're getting to a whole other le- level of depth in, in spiritual maturity when you can love your enemy, and while you love them, you don't expect anything from them. Here's what I believe. Many acts of kindness that we do today, that I do today, are just selfish acts disguised as kindness. Because the reason why we do them is gain. Right? I'm going to serve my spouse so she meets my physical needs. I'm going to you know, compliment this friend so she can give me something that I want. I'm going to be kind to my boss so he can give me that promotion. I'm going to be kind to my teacher so they give me a good grade. Honestly, most of our kindness is just motivated by something that we can get rather than what we can give. And kindness, the Bible says, you, you do it and you expect nothing back. Third, How can we do that? Well, because kindness is rewarded. I think in life, we often keep a a scoreboard, a tally. And and I I do this often, and I think you probably do, is like when we do something good, we we keep this scoreboard of like all my good deeds, and and somehow life should even out where it repays me for all the good that I do. And at the end of the day, we want this scoreboard, this tally to be equal, like good deed, good deed covered, good deed covered, good deed blessing comes my way. And we, we kind of keep this scoreboard in our heads. And here's what I've learned about God, is you can wipe the scoreboard away. Because when we choose to trust and obey God, and let me tell you, to love your enemies and be kind to your enemies and expect nothing in return, it's going to take trust in God, obedience to God. And when you do that, he just rewards you. He rewards you. And I promise you this, The reward from God is going to be sweeter than any praise of man. The reward from God is going to be greater than anything this world can offer you. I can't tell you what God's reward is going to look like or be like, but I can promise you it's going to be a whole lot better than anything this world offers. And we've got to stop keeping the tally and just bank and trust on God and know he'll provide for us. And so kindness is not selective. Kindness expects nothing in return. God will reward it, but most importantly... Kindness mirrors who God is to others. Guys, I I don't know if you know this or not, but if you look around our society today, there is not that many kind people out there. You know what I see in our society? I see people who are ready for a fight. I see divisiveness. I see people who can't wait to jump on something you said in your past, your present, or something you haven't even said that they said you said. And I'm telling you today, when you allow the Spirit of God to mark you with kindness, you will look different than our society. And you will mirror who God is to a lost and broken world. They will be shocked and flabbergasted by your kindness because it's not something that is out there that often. So let's get practical. Ephesians 4, Paul says it pretty bluntly. He says, be kind. It's a command. He says, we as Christians should be marked by kindness and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just in Christ God forgave you. And so I asked you this last week, and I'll ask you it again, just with a different fruit. Are you marked by kindness? Would your friends, your family, 
your coworkers, your employees, your boss, your classmate, your roommate, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it is, would they label you? Would they describe you? Would they characterize you as a kind person? Is that who you are? I love what Lemon Straw says. He says, kindness should characterize believers. Does it characterize you? It should characterize believers in their relationships with one another. Kindness that is gentle, gracious, easy to be entreated, manner that permits, uh, permits others to be at ease in our presence. Right? Think about that lady on that plane. You know what she did? She made it easy to be in her presence. And so I just have one challenge for you today. And I know some of you are like, oh, no. Last week I had to drive the speed limit and wait in a long line. What next? I just simply want you to try kindness. And I want to be clear. When I say try kindness, I don't mean somehow come up with the energy to be nice to people. I mean to pray to a holy, perfect God. And say, will you produce this in me? Will you help me pay attention to the signs I see everywhere I go so that I can act and provide what is needed? To try kindness. And here's what's, here's what's amazing is, man, as I was, you know, studying these two words, patience and kindness, as I was preparing to preach last week and this week, God has just given me opportunities to Live this spirit out to pray that God would produce this in me. And can I can be honest, <laughs> kindness is a whole lot better than patience. I'm just saying. <laughs> so last week, Sunday, I got done preaching on patience. And I had to drive and go pick up my wife and kids because my mom is watching them at the lake house. And yes, I drove the speed limit. And it was horrible. <laughs> it was awful. The right lane. And I felt bad for everybody else who was behind me. But I drove an hour and a half to go get my family. And on Sundays, my routine is uh, after I, I kind of take a break from Sunday morning, I will often go to my notes that are written for the next week and just kind of like, okay, God, hey, what am I missing? And what am I gearing up to preach for? And so this week, I was thinking about kindness and what that looks like. And it's amazing how God just provides examples. So I'm sitting there studying this message. And I look out to the water. I'm at my mom's lake house. I'm sitting in the front, the, the screened-in porch. And I look out to the water, and there's this boat that is, like, drifting towards the, 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 the shore. And this is not anything that's new, right? Because there's a gully that is right next to our property, and it washes out a, a ton of food for the fish. And so there's a ton of people who fish there. But as I watch this boat drift closer to shore, I, I notice a couple things. There are no fishing poles. There's no trolling motor in the front, and, and there's only one person in the boat, and they seem a little panicked. They're, they're roaming around looking for things, and, and so I put my laptop down, and I walk out the, the porch, and I walk to the shoreline, and I just say, hey, are you okay? And the guy looks at me. He's like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and can, can I just dock my boat on your dock? I was like, what? This is a strange request. Like, I didn't invite you to come to my house, bro. So I look at him and I'm like, are you sure you're okay? And I think he was embarrassed. And he looks at me and he's like, I'm out of gas. I can't go anywhere. So I'm docking there whether you like it or not. 
And it was probably pretty awkward because when he said that to me, I literally had the biggest grin on my face because I'm studying kindness, and right here God lays an opportunity right before me. <laughs> and the second reason is because I was like, hey, man, I don't, you don't know this or not, but God brought you to the right house because out back I've got a tank full of gas ready for you. So I run back and I fill this five-gallon tank full of gas and I lift it and I bring it to the boat and I hand it to him. And he's like, oh, man, you have no clue how much this means to me. And he grabs the tank. And here's what's interesting. He grabs the tank and he pours about a half a gallon out of a full five-gallon tank. And he pours about a half a gallon in. He pulls the tank back, puts the lid on, and he gives it back to me. And I'm like, what are you... Why is this still full? He's like, I got enough to get where I need to go. Thank you. And I was like, hold on a second, dude. This is a gift from me to you. Fill your tank full and get to your family. Don't worry about it. So he takes the tank. He's like, oh, thank you so much. He pours the rest of it in. And he does something interesting. It's all empty. He takes the tank, puts the top on, and he puts it in his boat. I'm like, I'll take that back now. Like, <laughs> I'm kind, but I'm not that kind, man. Come on. You're wearing me down. And he's like, no, no, no. I owe you. And I want to take this to the gas station and fill it up and bring it back. And I'm like, dude, you're not getting it. This is a gift from me to you. You don't owe me anything. And church, I just wish you could have seen his face. I just wish you could have seen the expression because guess what? Most people today don't get to experience kindness. And you want to know why? It's because the church and Christians have become some of the most unkind people. And yet we're supposed to be marked by this fruit of the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, we changed the world if we just became kind people who are marked by the Spirit of God producing kindness in us. And so I want you to try kindness this week, <laughs> but there is a caveat to it. This is where it gets a little more difficult because I want to give you five people that I think you should show kindness to this week. The first one, someone who's close to you. This could be a spouse, a child, a mom, a dad, a good friend, a family member. Show them kindness. But then secondly, I want you to show kindness to someone you don't know. This is a random act of kindness to a stranger who's parked on the side of 490 with a blown tire, and you're going to be patient enough to be kind. Is you idea there? <laughs> Three, someone who won't expect it. Right? Maybe this is the person who you haven't been kind to recently, and the last thing they're expecting from you is kindness. Fourth, this is someone who doesn't deserve it. This is someone who hasn't been kind to you and they're going to be surprised and flabbergasted that you are still kind to them. And number five, this is someone you struggle with. Someone who gets under your skin. Let's label them your enemy. Just try kindness. Pay attention. Provide what is needed. And let me give you some examples of maybe what this might look like. Maybe it's making a meal for someone, buying them a meal, sending them a gift card, buying groceries. Maybe it's, it's going to care portal and providing for a stranger. Maybe it's a word of encouragement, a thank you card. Or maybe, maybe for your enemy. I like this one for your enemy. Maybe for your enemies this week. Monday morning, you wake up and you read your Bible. 
and you let the truth of God's word pour into your heart, and then when you go to pray, you pray for your enemies. God, would you bless them? Can you imagine that? Asking God to bless the people who abused you, hurt you, took advantage of you, overlooked you. You see, that's a level of spiritual depth that I think many Christians never get to. Where we're willing on Monday morning to say, God, I want you to bless the people who drive me crazy. I want you to bless the people who have taken advantage of me because that's exactly what Christ Jesus did for you. And when you do it, when you go to try kindness, remember, don't manufacture the energy. Pray, God, would you mark me with this fruit? Let's pray together. God, I don't have to look far in my life to realize how many people I've been unkind to. And I've justified it, God, by saying that's... I just gave them what they deserved. But God, I'm so grateful that you didn't give me what I deserve. And so God, this week, as we ask you to produce this fruit in us, may we pay attention to what is around us. May we see the signs and the clues to what is needed, and may we act on that. May we be marked. May we be a church that is kind. In Jesus' name, amen.